This audio recording is presented by New City in downtown Orlando. John chapter 17, verses 17 to 19. So you know, Jesus is praying uh, to the heavenly father. Jesus prays, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Good morning. It's good to see everybody. Like Ted said, my name is Damien. I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm excited to finish up this small mini-series in the Gospel of John. Uh, We started in John 10, and then we went to John 15, and then today, John 17. As I mentioned the first week, all of these passages are a part of what's called a farewell discourse. And a farewell discourse means that Jesus after uh, his last meal with the disciples, is walking to the Garden of Gethsemane. And as he's heading there, he's talking to them through these chapters. And in that sense, it's a farewell discourse. He knows that he is walking to the cross, which is why he came. And he tells them in those chapters that he will be leaving, but that is better for them because he will send the helper. And here, John 17 is the end of this where he's praying. Now, there's lots of talk of praying, and even Jesus's prayers in the Gospels. But this prayer is often called the high priestly prayer, and it's unique because it's describing the exact things that Jesus prayed. So in that sense, it's very detailed, which is unique. And in that sense, it's very, very valuable to us. If you were with us this summer in the Lord's pattern prayer, we saw that when the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray, he gives us this pattern. And we spent seven weeks on that pattern. And it's interesting. I had never seen this before, but commentators showed me this week that in John chapter 17, Jesus actually follows that same pattern here in his prayer. So at the beginning, uh, in the first five verses, Jesus is praying for God's will to be done. He's praying uh, that God's will has been done through his life. And he's thanking him for his glory. And those are the same things that Jesus calls our attention to first when we pray, our Father in heaven, hallow your name in our life. Bring it to us. And then as you see the next verses, Jesus actually turns praying for his disciples. And in those prayers, he prays for their provision. He prays for their forgiveness. He prays for their protection from evil. And then in the end, he prays for what he's asking the Lord to do, which is to bring about unity in his church so that his people can be his people in the world. So you see it, and it's quite incredible, actually. And so I would recommend uh, that you go and read John 17 with those glasses on, so to speak, and see it. It's pretty pretty fantastic. As I was reading through John 17 in our initiative, our community Bible reading initiative, uh, I came to some of my favorite verses, 17 through 19, which were just read. And when I read those verses in context of the prayer, I'm reminded that every single one of us wants our life to have a purpose. I mean, all of us, want our, we want our life to matter. And Jesus, in his final prayer, gives an account of his earthly mission to the Father. So he's been talking about his purpose, and he's, been, he's praying to the Father about that purpose. And I'm always reminded of how every single one of us wants a purpose. And the reality is, is that although that's true, 
At the same time, every single one of us at times in our life experience a drifting from that purpose. We experience a time when we realize we're drifting. Uh, Day to day, we're going through life and we just sort of live and we get to the end of the day and we're not sure how much we've reflected on any real purpose or meaningful purpose. And I find that when this happens to me, I always default towards living for myself. I default towards comfort. I default towards myself and selfishness. And I don't think I'm alone in that. And so when I read these verses and thinking of our call to worship, I'm reminded that Jesus was sent into the world. And if I'm a disciple of his, my primary purpose, my primary identity, my primary hope is that I too now am sent by him. And so I think sometimes when we talk about purpose, we talk about calling. And I think there's a lot of legitimacy there. I've preached about calling. I talk about calling. I care about calling. But sometimes, and I think I'm not alone again in this, that when I talk about calling, I forget, I forget something's already happened. And it's the fact that I've already been sent. And you've already been sent. And so today, I want to talk about that sentness. I want to talk about the fact that in John 17, Jesus is praying. And in that prayer, we find that not only was he sent, but as his people, we are sent into the world and we're sent in his mission. So I want to simply reflect on three short things today. First, the call to mission, and then the context of mission, and then the cost of mission. So first, the call to mission. In verse 13, Jesus says, speaking to the Father, I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they, his disciples, may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So even in the mission of sentness, there's this idea of joy. And fulfilled joy doesn't just mean I'm kind of happy. It means I'm overflowing like a fountain with joy. And so Jesus wants us to have an overflowing joy, and he intends for us as his followers, to experience that joy in our sentness, in our mission. Uh, The word mission is from the Latin word missio, or sent. So in other words, mission, when I say that, mission is sentness. That's what mission is. And Jesus says in our passage, verse 18, as you sent me into the world, speaking of the Father, so I have sent them into the world. So how can I describe a mission succinctly? Simply put, what is mission? Well, mission is a cause or a goal you're willing to work for, to sacrifice for. It's something you're willing to give up stuff to attain it. It's important enough to you that you'll even give up your safety, your personal needs, your comfort, all of these things you'll give up for a mission. And I've heard someone speak on mission before and Uh, they reminded me of one of the most glorious songs of the 80s by Brian Adams. Everything I do, I do it for you, right? It's the best part of the whole Robin Hood movie. Kevin Costner has nothing on that soundtrack. And these are some of the, the lyrics that we all know from that song. Don't tell me it's not worth trying for. Don't tell me it's not worth dying for. You know it's true. Everything I do, I do it for you. Right? You know the song. And I'm sorry if it'll be stuck in your head the rest of the time. But it's important that we understand this, in essence, is a mission. 
And basically every love song speaks of mission. Here, what we see is, for the cause of true love, I'm willing to sacrifice my comfort and my joy. I'm willing to sacrifice everything for you, baby. (laughs) Right? That's every love song, isn't it? But in essence, it captures mission, sacrifice, longing, leaving comfort for something that we desire very clear. So the mission that many have in the world now, though, is safety. It's comfort. It's ease. So it's interesting because true mission, we understand, is willing to give up those things. But somehow today in the world, true mission has become about those things. True mission has become, I pursue safety and I'll sacrifice anything but safety instead of I'll sacrifice everything for the mission. You see, it's been shifted and I think it's affecting me and that's why I wanna talk about it. Now, Jesus speaks a bit about this in his ministry earlier when he teaches that everyone who seeks his life will lose it. But if you lose it for his sake, you'll find life, right? So what is Jesus saying there? Jesus is saying simply, if your goal in life is self-preservation, or merely the preservation of personal interest or comfort or safety, and you want to live for a comfortable, cozy, curated life, on the one hand, you'll find safety. On the one hand, you'll find some comfort. But your life will be thin, it'll feel vacant, and it'll be self-involved. And in that sense, your life will be empty, and there will be no overflowing of life. Because remember, Jesus in his prayer says, I long that my people have life, but they'll find my life in their sentness, in the mission that I've given them. So if you want a rich, overflowing life, then you must live for a mission. You must live for mission. And so in that sense, Jesus is calling us all to mission. But this mission isn't just in a vacuum. Our sentness is not just sent anywhere. It's sent into a specific context. Okay, so that is the next point I want to talk about is this, the context of mission. So it's not simply that we're on mission or we're sent, but we're sent to a specific place, and that is in the world. Now, we've heard the phrase before, in the world, but not of the world. Fun fact, he never says that, and you won't find that anywhere in the Bible. But it's a decent summary of what he is saying. So what is he actually saying in verse 16? They are not of the world, Father, but I'm leaving them in the world. And so in the world, but not of the world, is fine as a summary. And the context of this mission in John's gospel is that the sentness is sending light into darkness. So the context is a dark world. The context is a world that's infected by sin like a virus. And so Jesus, in his sentness, is sent into the darkness to bring about light. So three things that we see in John 17 in this prayer is that Jesus is in the world, for the world, but separate from the world. And we too, he's leaving us in the world, for the world, but separate from the world. So the mission is not merely to rescue people out of darkness, but it's actually to transform people into light to penetrate into the darkness. This is what I mean. Many world religions and some flavors of Christianity uh, preach a very pessimistic understanding of mission. 
And that is that the goal of mission is to go save people out of darkness into safety and just wait until we can escape from the world. And that's not at all what Jesus is saying. And if you look at his life, that's not what he's doing. You see, the mission is not to rescue people into enclaves of safety. It's not to circle the wagons because bad things are happening. You see, the very context of mission is darkness. And we are to be transformed into light, sent as light into darkness. That's the purpose of mission. That is the context of mission. And so while some world religions are very pessimistic, preaching that there is no goodness in the material world and that we are to be escaped from it, they're just wrong. You see, the context of mission is darkness. And you are sent as light to go into that darkness. And Jesus would say, there's no other purpose more grand, more joy-giving than being light and being sent in, pressing back darkness wherever he would take you, wherever he would send you, wherever you would go, that you there would tear off a small corner of the darkness by being a sent one in that darkness. So if some world religions are very pessimistic and they view the point of mission as escape instead of engagement, instead of living life as light in darkness, Uh, If you look at bookstores, or I don't know if you can find a bookstore anymore, if you go on Amazon.com and you look for uh, the the self-help area, uh, you'll have a lot of literature there. Um, Self-help, self-actualization, psychology. You see, everyone knows that there's something wrong with the world. Everyone knows that we need some people to be on mission to help other people. Everyone knows this. Uh, But what that mission is about and what the real issue is, is exactly the question. And so some secular ideologies, uh, many, most, really all, leave out this one thing, and that is sin. So the context isn't just darkness. Like, if we can just figure out our psychology, we can figure out the darkness. If we can just get the right leadership, we can figure out darkness. If we can just find the right political party, we can figure out darkness. You see, actually, the context of mission is brokenness. It's sin, it's dysfunction. And the whole point of the gospels, the whole point of Jesus coming is that the only way any of this gets fixed is if something from outside is sent into the world, something alien to this broken world. You see, there is a sentness to Jesus and therefore there's a sentness to his people. And we're sent into this context of brokenness. Jesus says we are in the world We are not to disengage or to flee or to seek to protect ourselves, but we're actually to lay down roots and invest in culture and work for the common good and flourishing. And we're to love our neighbors and to show hospitality to those in need and to proclaim the reign of the king who actually has the power to save us and actually has the power to truly transform this dark context in which he was sent, in which we are sent. So if religions are pessimistic of the world, they don't have a theology that's powerful enough for transformation, and secular ideologies tend to be naively optimistic, then we have to understand that there must be a power that we can get. There must be something that transforms us, that we can actually live this mission and have hope in being part of the solution in this darkness. And what is that hope? Look at verse 17. 
Jesus says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Now listen, there is no technology. There is no iOS operating system update. There is nothing. Nothing except Jesus and his word that is powerful enough to change you. There's no medication that can give you eternal life. Only Jesus can give you eternal life. Only Jesus is the light that penetrates the darkness. Only Jesus is the truth. So to be sanctified is to be set apart. Remember, we're in the world, but we're separate from the world. We're for the world, but we're separate from the world. So to be sanctified is to be set apart for a holy purpose. And yes, you've heard it said, it's a lifelong process. Indeed it is. And it's a lifelong process of two things. One, being separated from participating in and being influenced by evil. You see, to be light and darkness, we must increasingly be separated from the influence of evil. We must increasingly love the things that Jesus loves. We must increasingly become more like him. And that is a part of sanctification. There's also a moral aspect to sanctification as well. There's growth in holiness or moral purity. So that's attitudes, thoughts, heart desires. All of that must happen. But for what? Why does that happen? In the Gospel of John, sanctification is always in reference to mission. Always. I didn't know this before this week. I was studying and I came across it in two different places, very helpful commentators that that I trust and many of you would trust. And they pointed this out and I kept going back to this word in John and it's quite extraordinary. The word sanctified is always used in the gospel of John to talk about mission. And this isn't the only place that sanctified is tied to mission. Even in the Old Testament, when you talk about worship and you talk about the temple, there were things used in worship. And those things, those instruments were said to be sanctified. Those instruments were said to be set apart for a purpose. And that is us too, Jesus is praying, would be set apart for a purpose. That we would be set apart for the purpose of being a light in darkness. That is the point of sanctification. So for us, this increasing holiness happens, Jesus says, by God's word. You see, God's word isn't just true. Jesus says it is the truth. So it's not like God's word measures up to some standard outside of itself. It is the standard. It is that thing that transforms us. Because God's word isn't just information that we put into our mind. And that's why we know, for me or anyone to teach the Bible, uh, to teach is not merely to tell. And to tell is not merely to understand. You see, but we often think that. We often think, if I teach you, then I just tell you. And if I understand, then I teach you that way. But the Bible is much more complex than that. It has a formative reality to it. You see, and that's why we're called to meditate on the truth, to let it sink into us. Yes, we do study it. We study it. We meditate. It comes into us and it has this transforming effect on us. And that is why Jesus is saying the only way that we will increasingly be sanctified, set apart for his purpose is to understand what his purposes are and to be conformed to those. And that happens by being in his word, by being transformed by his word. 
And the reason is, is because when we do this, we actually see the Lord himself. And a a verse that's very important to us at New City is that when we see the Lord, we will be transformed more and more into his likeness and we will display him more and more. So you see, as we see the Lord in his word, we're transformed to be that light in darkness increasingly. And so yes, there's a call to mission. Yes, the context of mission is a dark place, but by being with the Lord, by seeing him, by meditating on his word, we increasingly will be set apart for his purposes in the world. And so we'll be transformed to take light into our families. Every day, with your families, with your children, with your neighbors, in your workplace, in your community groups, everywhere you go, you are sent there to be light. Every single place you go, every place you are sent there. And I think for me, I miss this often. I, I, I miss the sentness, the, the, the magnificence, I guess you could say, of being sent in everyday life in mundane ways. I miss that opportunity to be used by God by sometimes trying to find this grand call on my life, this grand purpose that will be large, that will be big, that will be spectacular. And I, I hope that happens for me and I hope it happens for you. And, but I don't want that to be what we seek after instead of constantly being reminded of our sentness. You've already been sent. Why? Because you've been chosen to be used by God in ways that you can't even imagine, in ways that I can't even imagine. There's no small conversation. I am amazed by, by sentences, by words, by looks of compassion on people's face towards me that have changed my life. And I know you've experienced it. I know someone has made an off-the-cuff the comment to you that God has used to bless you greatly. That's part of what it means to be light, to be sent into darkness and to encourage one another as God's word transforms us. So how is this possible? How is this possible? We've seen the call to mission. We've seen the context of mission and now the cost of mission. We know it costs us something. It's where we started, right? Brian Adams, he's willing to sacrifice everything. That's his mission. I've seen people sacrifice everything. Uh, when I lived in San Diego, uh, we lived very close to an Olympic training center. It was fantastic. I mean, it was a beautiful place. San Diego is a beautiful place. And this Olympic training center was pretty new. And Leah and I knew some athletes who went to our church and they took us on into the training center. And we were walking around and these particular athletes were archers. It's quite amazing. And as we were walking through this this large community, there are athletes everywhere. There's movement, uh, there's weightlifting, there's practicing. And it's all for a mission. It's all for a purpose. And it struck me as I was walking through and as I'm watching these archers. How long have you been out here? Oh, uh, all day, I guess. So what else have you done? Well, I mean, I got up and came down here and loosened up and started shooting. And then I went to eat and then I went to work out. And now I'm back here to get another 3,000 arrows in. Like, so how often do you do this? Six days a week. Do you get paid? No. So why do you do it? Well, so I, can, so I can compete in the Olympics, so I can win. You see, their mission was so clear. 
They were sacrificing everything. Many of them dropped out of college. Many of them postponed college. Many of them had degrees, but they decided to give up the job, give up income, uh, to give up a life, essentially, for four years to maybe make it in to compete in the Olympics. That is a mission. That is sacrifice. That is cost. And I am amazed by how my life oftentimes looks the exact opposite of that. I set up my life so I'll be comfortable. I set up my life so it's a lot easier for me as opposed to sacrificing, as opposed to orienting my life around a mission and that mission of being light wherever God would call me. You see, I I walk into my house after a day and my girls run up to me and oftentimes I'm like, I just want to go sit down. I'm really tired and I don't feel like being light to you right now. I feel cloudy. I feel darkness. I feel overwhelmed. But what I found this week, even as I was thinking about this passage, is that this is the great opportunity for me to realize how I can practice the truth that I'm sent to be light to my family. When I walk in, where am I going to get that? Think last week, abiding in Jesus, pulling the strength from the roots. Why? To go into mission, into my house. You see, it's about orienting. It's about an orientation of life. And in the same way that those Olympic athletes oriented their life towards a mission of competing, I long for me, I long for you, I long for us increasingly to orient our life towards the mission of being light in the world wherever God sends us. You see, there's great cost to mission. There's great cost because it's not about you. But when we see the mission of God and we see the context of the dark world that he was sent into, Jesus was sent into, there is no greater cost than this. Jesus is sent to die for the mission. That is the greatest cost. You and I experience cost, but not like that. You and I experience sacrifice, but not like that. You and I experience humbling of ourselves, going to the Father for strength, but not like that. Jesus did all of those things, but perfectly and on your behalf. Listen to this in Hebrews 12, 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you hear what the writer to the Hebrews is saying? Jesus was willing to endure the cross for the joy before him. For a greater joy that was beyond the cross. In other words, there was a mission for which Jesus was willing to experience those things. There was a mission that Jesus was willing to sacrifice all of those things. And in verse 18, he tells us why. Father, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. You see, Jesus set himself apart for a purpose as well. He set himself apart for the purpose of going to the cross and dying for us so that his death would be our life, so that his death would be our joy. His mission was his death for the world so that you and I could be saved to go into the world and bring that light 
and that life that was given through his death. Let's pray. Father, we <clears throat> reflect on our uh, often selfishness. Um, we ask that you would save us from that increasingly, that you would save us, take our lives, that they would be consecrated to your service. And I'm so thankful for all that Ted led us through earlier and in the word that we heard in Luke 4, that your sentness was for us and that when we realize that, there will be a new energy that comes about in us that then we will be free to go out into the world as the sent ones. We don't earn our way into participating in your mission, but you have saved us and given us the privilege of life and participating in your mission. So I pray as we continue to sing and meditate on your grace to us, and in a moment when we hear your blessing, your sending, your sending, your benediction, that we would increasingly well up with hope and joy. In your name we pray, Jesus.